to get into our session this morning. Thank you all for coming. It was great what we've had thus far in the conference. I'm so fired up about that. I did want to take a moment and just, again, thank those of you that are have come in. I don't know, some of you maybe your first time even this morning. We're glad that you're here. I got to meet a new friend this morning, make a new friend, and uh, it's good to have you here, brother. I uh, just want to point out, too, uh, if you have not met Isaiah and Don Benedict, man, they're, look, they're all in. They got the T-shirt. Awesome. Praise the Lord. They're serving in Haiti, and so you want to you want to mingle with them, get to know what they're doing. They have a you do ha- you don't have a table. Do you want a table? You need. Oh, you don't. I'm not telling you. You have to do anything. I'm just glad you're here. <laughs> so if you want one, let we'll get you set up. So yeah, if not, uh, it's cool. So one of those was supposed to be yours. So we we can get you one. So I, I've probably dropped the ball on that. So forgive me. Uh, and then Bob, uh, Brian Barry, I was going to say Bob Barry. Bob Barry, we got a good friend called Bob Barry. You're probably his cousin. But Brian Barry is serving, uh, is serving, uh, getting ready to go uh, to Ireland. He's on deputation. And he's also got a table out there you can get with him and see him. I appreciate these guys coming in and being with us. Uh, this morning is, uh, it's kind of this train. If you've not, if you've ever seen those movies where you jump on the train as it's moving, this is what you're going to be doing this morning. Randy is, is already underway with his series on owning the mission. So, uh, if you want to get access to, to not only where we're going this morning, but what's already been, uh, then you need to go to our website. We'll have the PDFs of his previous, uh, notes and his sermons will be online at, at uh, listen on hbfcast.org. But uh, he's been in a series that uh, that uh, to kind of prepare us for this. He's his heart is so burdened uh, for uh, the topic that he's presenting on owning the mission. I'm so excited that he's able to be here today and uh, and 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 present it. But Randy, I just I, one of the reasons I want to introduce this is because I want to just thank you. Uh, I love those songs that we sang on uh, you know these kind of like onward to victory soldier songs because you're a soldier. And I appreciate you. I mean, if you guys want to know somebody who's soldiers, Randy Foster is a soldier. Uh, I mean, in the Lord. And I uh, appreciate you. I appreciate your tenacity, your faithfulness. Your this guy, there, there is no quit in Randy Foster. And uh, he's a. If you're looking, if you're looking for somebody to emulate, uh, man, follow Randy. He's a good man. And so, and he's also, fortunately for me, he's he's the associate pastor, my friend. He's awesome. So I just, well, Jesus is awesome. Forgive me, Jeff. But that God lives in Randy, and I'm thankful for that, and and so he's great, and uh, and so let's give uh, let's let's give uh, Randy some love as he comes up and presents his session for us. Wow, Brian, that was uh, incredible. Thank you, man. Love you. <laughs> I love you too, bro. I really do. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate this church, and uh, you know, it's been. Uh, been a long well it's been a good good run and uh i don't know about being a soldier i was a sailor actually (laughs) it's okay it's all right it's good um so uh i've been yeah so i I just keep pushing along julie kept telling me i need to slow down because everything's going on with me and most of you know i have cancer and uh, it uh, it does slur my speech every once in a while. I just picked that up, but I slurred that. So that'll happen. So just do the best you can to keep up. And my notes, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to, I mean, I'm sorry if they don't work, if they don't make sense. Um, you know, go talk to God. He'll straighten it all out. So anyway, um, so uh, let's pray and then uh, we'll we'll jump in. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for uh, the, the time that we're having this week, Lord, just to, to relish in, uh, in the mission of, of you, Lord. We thank you so much that you give us per, the privilege of serving you. We, we are thankful, Lord, that you trust us enough, even though we don't deserve it. But you trust us with your word. You trust us to carry your word around the world or across the street or wherever we have an opportunity to carry it. I'm so thankful for that. I'm very humbled about that very thing, Lord, and I know that many of us are here, but I do praise you for the the hearts that are here, Lord, because they are serving you, and they love you, and they they love doing what you want them to do, and and so we pray, Father, that you would speak through me this morning, that, uh, Lord, the things that that you have put on my heart for uh, over a year ago now, um, Lord, that, uh, that this would come out very clearly today. And it would make sense today, and it would be something that can be picked up and 
and run with by every person here. Lord, and I thank you for the privilege, the opportunity uh, to be a part of this church and to be a part of every person's life here. Lord, I love you. I love everybody here. I thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, this kind of, this, this idea of, of uh, the term that, that we developed, I call it owning the mission. And if anybody needs a notes for today, um, there's actually notes for the whole week. So if you, even if you don't want to take my notes, that's okay. But there's other stuff that's in here. You know, there's uh, Andrew Ong last night spoke and his notes are in there. You can follow along with, with any, anything or just write your own notes. I think there's some blank pages there with some lines on them. Uh, thanks, Steve. Um, okay, so let me just say this. This started, this, this concept, the idea of owning the mission um, started um, with the recognition that our church, our focus, everybody's focus, um, may be top-heavy when it comes to missions maybe top heavy. And I, and I use that expression for this. I, I call it top heavy because I think a lot of times, and this is not wrong by anything, but this is, but what I want to do is to maybe shift everybody's thinking a little bit about missions. Okay. Um, by top heavy, I mean that we put a heavy emphasis on mission as going to the field. Mission, when we, when we, when we term, when we use the word mission, missionary and so on and I'll define all those terms by what I'm trying to get to later on but when we use the term mission uh, we're talk we think about going to the field what across the ocean you know getting on a plane get on a boat you know whatever and going to another country or maybe maybe uh very similar to that would be going sending somebody to plant a new church someplace uh usually when we send a missionary that's kind of what they're going to do is plant churches you know um and so to me, that's a that's a top heavy view of the, of mission, because um, I think we have a fair assessment of doing those kind of things. But I came to the real, a realization a year ago, right here this week, a year ago, um, and um, it seemed to me at the at the moment that God spoke through me, and He literally, I mean, I didn't speak this, and He didn't lay it on my heart. He spoke through me because what happened? You see, you don't know this. You may not even remember it, but I remember it because God spoke through me to do something that I, I don't think that I have ever done in a, in a missions conference, and that was to see if anybody was ready to answer the call to missions. And um, so um, now maybe it's a better, better way to say that we have been missing the call, not my call. I'm not missing my call. I think I'm where God wants me to be. And I'm not talking about the pastor's call, but the call that may be sounding loudly in the heart and the mind of everybody in our church. They're not, they're, we don't give a chance. We don't give an opportunity. We don't encourage to respond to the call. But everybody's been called. I think we heard that last night. Everybody's been called. But not everybody responds because they're afraid of going over there. They're afraid of being, of being a church planter. Because missions, in most people's minds, is going over there. Well, I'm not going over there. I know I used to say that before I went over there. You know, but uh, so anyway, generally the thinking is that to be praying for someone to step step forward with a desire, that's usually what we do at church. We're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting for somebody to step up and say, I'd like to go. And then we all, you know, we get into a real... Uh, flurry of activity around that person, getting them ready to go, whatever that looks like and whatever that's need. Yet for those who are not called to go over there or who don't desire to be sent, they treat missions like it's a separate, like it's separate from them. Like, okay, so some people are going to go. Not everybody's going to go. So the ones that go are mission. The ones that stay here, we're just congregation. And I want to change that. And God spoke to me Standing up here on one of the closing nights of the, of the Vision Conference last year, and I uh, had a chance to make some closing remarks, and I just said, you know, is there anybody here that wants to respond to the call? And nobody did. I didn't, expe- I didn't actually expect it, but it's something that I said. I was like, we need to say this more often. 
We need to encourage you to answer the call. I wish we had a real phone booth up here that would ring every once in a while. And somebody run up here and have to answer it. Wouldn't that be cool? God calling. That would be awesome. So last year I was making some concluding remarks, as I said. And we had a great conference last year on finishing the work. That was our theme, was finishing the work. And it was an emphasis on taking an active role in the translation and the publication of the Bible. We had some really great speakers here. We had, uh, we had uh, Sharon, who, who gave her, us her testimony of when she was with Wickle at Bible Translators. And, wow, what a, what a life that was for her. And, uh, and we had the Vogleys come, and they were working on the, on the translation of the Bible for, Alban- for um, Armenia? Albania, that's right, okay. And uh, so I was looking out at the members, and I was thinking of our speakers and observed that they all had their own role in the mission of God. Those missionaries have their own role in the mission of God. And at that moment, I said, if you feel God is calling you right now to engage in the mission, take a step. And we'll begin to get you on the field. And as soon as I said that, it occurred to me that I had not thought of a, of a vision. I, had, I couldn't think of a vision conference when we had somebody come forward. Isn't that amazing? Not one person has ever come forward in a vision conference in this church to answer the call. And I'm thinking, we need to change that. We need to change that. So as a result of all that, I started praying. And, and I never let that happen again. And I spoke to Pastor Brian and I said, what I wanted to do was to create a desire for our church to own missions, to own a missions vision or the passion in their lives for in our church. And that's kind of where I'm going to go with this. I wanted to determine a way to cultivate a heart for mission in our people that was equal to the heart that we have for discipleship. Because one thing about this church, this is a discipling church. This church loves discipleship. I think everybody loves discipleship. Anybody don't? I didn't think so. But but the the heart that we have for discipleship and the heart that we have for evangelism needs to we need to we need to have equal footing on missions. Every one of us should have the same heart for missions as we do for discipleship as we do for for evangelism. And uh, and so, uh, if the flame in every believer's heart is not burning with a passion to embrace God's mission. They will not grow and they will not answer any call on their life if they don't have that passion to burn in their hearts. And so what I wanted to do today, and this this is what I have been doing for the last couple of weeks, is to help every believer develop such a passion for God's mission that they insist on owning a part of it. There's a difference between being in the mission and owning the mission. There really is a difference. Owning it is a passionate thing. Okay, so... What I want to do, like I said, is to help every believer develop a passion for God's mission that they insist on owning a part of it, a role in it, a piece of the mission to get gospel where it needs to go, regardless of what that may look like, the actually execution of that part of it. So how does a member cultivate the, that ownership in God's mission? starts with understanding what mission really is. And uh, so I want to do some things here first off. So, okay, so to, to get started, and I hope my PowerPoints work. If it don't, just wing it. Okay, so here's the thing. To the church, to the church, to HBF, especially to every church, falls the greatest privilege that can be given to man. That, that's, there's a great privilege, and I prayed that as well. I mentioned it in my prayer. This great privilege is that, that we are able to represent the one and the only true and living in God in all his grandeur to all the world. No other, no other group has a, has a privilege of representing the God that created everything but the church. And I don't know if you ever think about your role in presenting God to the world. But that's, that's who we are. That's what we're supposed to do. As a Christian, we're supposed to present the gospel, present God to the world. This representation is accomplished by the fanning of the flame that's in your heart, I hope you have a flame, flame in your heart. If you don't, we'll have to get that lit up. Uh, so by fanning the flame in your hearts and your lives so that others will feel that burn and respond the same way. So the passion in your heart needs to be so hot that people say, wow. And we use that expression a lot, don't we? We actually say, well, we're on fire for the Lord. We'll make a statement like that. You're on fire for the Lord or... Um, you know, I'm pretty burnt out, meaning your, your, your fire is gone. 
And so, so we're, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. So that's the background. So let me, as we, as we get going here, um, so the representation is accomplished by fanning, this, fanning that flame. And there will be an, uh, there will, uh, so what we're trying to get people to do is respond that they will answer the call to be a part of God's mission themselves. We, we, so in your own heart, you want other people to have the same passion as you, and so you want them to respond the same way you should be doing. You want people to be a part of the rescue of the lost. Every one of us should have a role to play in rescuing the lost. There needs to be a, a help for us to restore relationships. That part of our, our, our role with God is to restore relationships, in particular the relationship that God has with man. That's the one I'm talking about mainly, but throughout it just kind of funnels out to relationships with your spouse, relationship with your children, relationships with each other on the, in the church, and so on. And so, uh, and then the last thing that we're try, we want to try to get done is that, t- that we want people to take part in freeing the lost souls bound up in the burden of sin. And so, now for, for many Christians, for many Christians, it's easy to just disregard or ignore, ignore that flame in their hearts as though they just want to snuff it out. They want to ignore that that burn that, that's there. Consider, okay, now go over to Luke chapter 24. I'll show you an example of what I'm talking about. Luke chapter 24. Now this is after Christ had resurrected. This is these two guys. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but these two guys are walking down the road to Emmaus. You may recall those guys. They're just disciples. They're just guys, and they're talking. What are they talking about? What are they talking about? Did you hear what happened in Jerusalem? This guy, Jesus, he, they, they crucified him. He died. Three days later, he rose again. And the next thing they know, there's another person standing next to them walking down the road. And he begins to talk to them, and they have dinner together and all this kind of stuff. But look what he says in verse 32, chapter 24, verse 32. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened up to us the scriptures? You see what they're they're describing, their heart. I think I got that on the verse. I don't know. Yeah, there it is. And so did not our hearts burn when he talked? See, they were developed. They were realizing there's a passion that's coming up and and there's, there's there's a flame that's happening there. It says their heart burned at the hearing of Christ speak. But here's the problem, and this is where a lot of Christians may be. Um, they didn't take any real significant action. They didn't go out and tell the world. They did go back to the Jerusalem. They turned around, they went home, they went to Jerusalem, and they told other believers, hey, Jesus is alive. Well, this is okay, that's good, but... We need to take this message to the lost. We don't need to try to reach other churches. And so anyway, um, another example would be Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament in Scripture. But he, he, he was called to speak out to the nation. Uh, but he fell to his own emotions as well, deciding that he would no longer fan that flame that was burning. He said in chapter in Luke or I'm sorry in Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9. I think it's on the screen for you. He says Jeremiah 20 verse 9. Then I said, this is Jeremiah speaking. He said, I will not make mention of him anymore. I will not make mention of him nor speak anymore in his name. Jeremiah made that statement. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about God anymore. It goes on, he says, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Jeremiah was saying, I don't want to do this anymore, but that burning in his heart was great, was so great that he couldn't stop. He had to keep talking to, pe- to people about it. He was trying to shut off the fire in his heart because he, didn't want, he did not desire to make mention of God anymore. He tried to ignore that call, and he tried to ignore the command to speak for God. If you look over at Jeremiah chapter chapter one, just real quick, just, you get, imagine the conversation that Jeremiah and, and God had at the beginning of the, of their relationship with each other, not when he's in the womb, but after that. Jeremiah chapter one, verse four. Then 
Then the then the the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou came out out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then I said, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. So he's already. This is what most Christians do when God calls them. They, they always have an excuse. Tomorrow we're going to try to whittle, whittle down some of the major excuses that people have and how God has already dealt with those excuses and given you a way out of those excuses so you can serve him and do what he wants you to do. So anyway, he goes on under verse 9. And it says, Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in, my, in thy mouth. So Jeremiah is saying, I can't speak. I'm a child. I, I don't know what to say. God says, That's okay. I'll give you the words to say. I'll give you the words to say. See, we can't use an excuse that God, I don't know what to say when people uh, give me the opportunity to say anything about God will talk to you. He'll talk through you. I mean, he'll, he'll speak for you. So, um, so the Lord called Jeremiah to be a prophet, or in our day, I would use the word a preacher. And everybody that gives the word of God to another person is, in effect, acting as a preacher. And so he declined that call in verse 6. He claimed that he was, his youth disqualified him from speaking, but God took care of that for the lack of words by giving him the words to say. So 20 chapters later, God is still showing Jeremiah what to say about what was going on, and then Jeremiah's like, I'm tired. I don't want any more of this. So Jeremiah may have st- tried to stop speaking and teaching and proclaiming because his role in the mission was complicated. I mean, it's not an easy thing to fulfill God's mission, to speak for God's mission, to represent his mission. It's not an easy thing. It does take some effort. His his time, his mission was complicated and hard, but that was not the end of the book. He carried on speaking for another 32 chapters. I mean, that's that's a lot of speaking for somebody that said, I don't want to speak. And he says in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 11, so after he said in verse 9, I don't want to speak, and two verses later he says, But the Lord was with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore my persecutors shall stumble. See, God's going to take care of those ones that are trying to keep you from talking. And they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. So God says, that's okay, I got that taken care of. I got it covered. So the reason, the reason that I want to talk about um, owning the mission is because I want to encourage every believer to take ownership of their part in God's mission. Uh, I'm not letting anybody off the hook here. Every believer should take ownership of the mission. What I hope to do is to stir the believer's minds and the soul so much that they're moved to do two things. There's two things. It's not on the handout, I don't think, but two things I really wanted to have happen. I want every believer to consider how they can contribute to the propagation of God's mission. How can every person here in this room, and those that didn't come today, but those that are still part of our church, how can they contribute to the propagation of God's mission? That's first thing. The second thing I want people to do is to be clear on what their role is in the mission. What is your role in God's mission? What can it be? What should it be? What is it right now? So I want everybody to evaluate their obedience to the command from Jesus Christ to his servants in Luke chapter 19, verse 13. And that's kind of where we, the title for this today's message is, oh, one, two, two, four. Luke chapter 13, 19, verse 13 says, He called his ten servants and declared and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, what did he say? Occupy until I come. So Jesus Christ is looking to you to find your role in God's mission and then occupy it until he comes. Every one of us has a role in the mission. So what, what is this mission that I am actually talking about? When I, when I use the term mission, what am I talking about? Because sometimes, you know, we, we all have this vision in our mind. We have this idea of what, it, what terms mean. So it's, I think it's probably a good idea so you at least know where I'm coming from. What is, what is, the, what is the mission that I'm talking about? Because let me just state this. This is, a, this is a, I think it's a true statement. Mission exists because God is missionary God. We wouldn't have missions at all if it wasn't for God not being a missionary. If he wasn't a missionary God, if he was not a missionary God, then we would not need missions. Because God's trying to accomplish something here. In John chapter 3, verse 17, For God sent not his own Son 
into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's part of the mission, God's mission, God's missionary God to save people. Galatians 4.4, 4, Paul said this about the mission. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. So, so he's identifying who that person is. And then John writes in 1 John 4, 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That's a powerful thing to think about. Those three verses right there give us a, a basis for what the mission is. So let me just say this. Mission began in the heart of God as the execution of his initiative to which every human being can respond. There's an initiative that God has in, in that's underway, and to be a part of his mission is, is to be a part of what he's trying to get accomplished, which is uh, to, 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 to own the mission. When I talk about owning the mission, to own the mission implies that everyone, every believer, must find a way to conduct missions that is both dependent on God and in line with his plan. So, well, I have a couple of extra thoughts that I didn't put in my notes, but I'll get to them maybe in a little bit. So, um, the message of mission is the redemptive love of, and grace of God. The message of, the, of mission is the redemptive love and grace of God for all people, and it must not be overshadowed by human messengers. The message is God's message. It's not our message. I mean, we can tell people God loves you, and that's fine, but we need to make sure that that we communicate that the way God wants us to. So the motivation for mission is his great love, by which he sent his only begotten son on a rescue mission. Back in Luke 19, verse 10, it says, For God, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. So there's, there's, some, there's, some, there's an intentionality within God's mission. Uh, Christ, uh, Christ came to seek, to save, and to give his life for the world. We know John three sixteen. But in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says, Herein is love, not that, we, not, that he loved, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So God's mission, God's mission is his plan for all of humanity. You know 2 Peter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but, it is lo- but as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any man should perish. But that should come, but that all should come to repentance. See, God is desiring all people to come back to Him. That's that relationship that I talked about earlier. Everybody's God wants everybody to come back. So I want to be clear here, in order to, to for the rest of this study to make any sense, let me just say this: It's not in your notes. God's mission is carried out through the structure of the church. God's mission is carried out <clears throat> through the structure of the church. No Christian can own the mission if they don't know what the mission is. And no Christian can own the mission if they do not desire to be a part of what God is trying to do in the world. Now, that kind of makes sense, right? If you don't want to do it, if you don't want to be a part of it, then you can't be a part of it. But what every Christian must do is identify the mission, then look for a point. So understand what the mission of God is. We'll, we'll define that here in just a minute. Understand what that mission is. What, is, what every Christian must do is identify the mission, and then look for a point where they can insert themselves into that mission. Any point of insertion is good. Any point of insertion is good. It doesn't matter where you insert as long as you insert. I mean, plug in to the mission. It's altogether too easy to claim. I have not been called there, but what I need to, to gather up then is to seek a role because of, if you do not take a step, you will miss any call for you to engage. If you don't plug in, I used to tell people, you know, God, you know, I want to, I'm trying to find out where God is leading me. Take a step. God will not lead you if you're not moving. Take a step. Same concept. Plug in someplace. So what am I mission? When I talk about mission, what am I meaning here? <clears throat> so this is God's mission. God's mission is very clear. I think I skipped a spot. Nope, oh, here we go. I think I'm in the right place. Mission is this. God desires to restore his image, his own image, in lost man by means of salvation. 
If you want a simple definition of God's mission, I'm not talking about God's mission. That's it. That's not the mission of the church directly. But we have a missionary, we have a mission statement for the church, but it fits very nicely into that statement there. God's mission, God's desire to restore his image in lost man by means of salvation. That's probably the most important statement you, you need to commit to memory from this study. If you just remember that, God's mission is to restore his image in lost man by means of salvation. So that's mission. And then missions, the idea of missions is the efforts to fulfill God's mission by means of making disciples. Now, there's a lot underneath the phrase making disciples. There's a lot that happens in a church for making disciples. I'm not talking about those 16 lessons here. I'm talking about making disciples, followers of Christ. And then the word missionary. This is where people can start to get a little bit confused about, well, I'm not a missionary. I'm not going over there, so I don't have a role. Yes, you do. Here's the, here's the thing. Missionary, missionary, one who in fulfillment of God's mission is sent out by his local church to reproduce that church in another people. It's also, at the same time as that, it's also somebody that um, a missionary serves in the church in what is called ministry. Missionary is the one that serves in the church in ministry. The, I, I don't see a difference between the two, actually. Let me give you the definition of ministry, then. I have two. I have a long one and a short one. Okay, so the, sh- the long definition is this. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 10. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known, might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. And so the goal of ministry then, the goal of ministry, I would define um, like this. Is to, is to work toward proclaiming the gospel to the world across around us with our actions as well as words that through the work of the body of Christ, the church will reflect the manifold wisdom of God. The, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to the lost to lead them to salvation. Part of the problem with people who don't want to get saved today is they don't know who God actually is. Because the church is not doing a good job of defining who God actually is. We're trying to argue against their points of who God is not, and we lose sight of who God actually is. Ministry then can be, this would be my definition of, my long definition of ministry. What we do in order that God is glorified, his gospel is shared with the world, and lives are rescued from the eternity of separation. Every ministry should have that as a, as, a, as a driving force. So look over at 2 Corinthians now. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Here, I think most of you, well, I think everybody here is probably pretty familiar with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, verse 18, down to verse um, 21. So let me just read that. It says, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. That would be restoring his image in lost man. He has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So just in those four verses there, five verses, verse 18, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's what it says, right? Well, I don't think in our church, in HBF anyway, I don't know about other churches, but in HBF, we don't have a reconciliation ministry. We have a children's ministry. We have praise ministry. We have uh, prisoners of hope ministry. We have life issues ministry. I don't know of any one of them that's called the reconciliation ministry, do we? I don't think so. That, that's okay, though. 
Because here's the point of all it is. Every ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. Every ministry is that. In verse 19, it says, you were given the word of reconciliation. That's God's word. That's what you take with, the, take with you to other people. Verse 20, we're called ambassadors. And an ambassador is a representative. You represent God to the world. And in verse 20, the second part of verse 20, God beseeches the world through us as ambassadors to be reconciled to God. So we need to be a part of that. That's the mission of God. We take all this ministry, uh, we take, all, take from this that all ministry has an aspect or a bent towards reconciliation. Everything leans towards that. Every ministry that we do has, some, has, for, has in, in its role a reconciliation concept. So God has gifted every person to accomplish what is necessary so that the gospel will be proclaimed. And as a result of our ministry, our slash missionary effort, whether we're directly or indirectly, we, we should be involved in his mission. Every part of the work of ministry is needful, and we should rejoice that we are permitted to be a part of, of, of any part of it, however humble, in bringing sinners to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, up there. Yeah, let me back up here. Okay. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Plug yourself into that, that verse right there. Plug that verse into your life. God has counted you faithful. I mean, you know, we can make some mistakes, but God still counts you faithful, and he has put you in the ministry, which we've just defined. But just for the sake of the conversation, let me give you a short version of ministry. Ministry is mission, is ministry, is mission. That's the short version, because it's all the same thing. Ministry and mission, they're all the same. You know why they're the same? Because when we send a guy across the ocean to plant a church, you know what he's going to do in that church? What you're doing here. That's, what he does over there is, is already underway over here. So what, what is mission over there is ministry over here. What's ministry over here is mission over there. Ministry here, mission there, mission there, ministry here. They're all, that's the same thing. They're all the same thing. Both are about the task of preparing a way for the gospel to be proclaimed because there is a war raging. Our mission is to support God's mission by finding out where we can plug into our own part of the mission. And so to own the mission... To own the mission is to fit yourself in some place that the lost have a way to be restored by God through your efforts that you contributed a small or a large part of God's mission to be manifest. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So if you're not plugged in, he can't work through you. You have to be plugged into the mission. You have to be plugged into what he's doing if you want God to use you. And I know well, I don't really want to be used by God. Don't say that. Don't take, don't take that attitude because that, I mean, actually God's already in you. He's just trying to get out. He's trying to do something. He wants to be used by you. He wants to use you. Okay. So the reason for mission then is that there is a plague in the world and that plague is called sin. God is pursuing a global purpose which is to reconcile all things to himself, all people to himself, and he intentionally acts to affect all people to defeat, defeat evil spiritual powers and to draw unto himself voluntary loving worshipers. That's what God wants. The distinction between his purpose and his plan is the reason for his mission. So we must never... I think I'm not in the right place. We must never lose sight of the mission because there's also a war raging. I don't know where that's at. I, here we go. We must never lose sight of the mission because there is a war raging across, across the globe. Now, I'm not talking about the one in, in Ukraine right now. I'm not talking about what could happen with North Korea or the, what could happen with China and Taiwan. I'm not talking about that war. I'm talking about the war for the souls of every human being in, in the world. That's the war. And the reason for that is because the outcome of every soul on this war is either suffering or sanctification. They're, every soul is either going to suffer or they're going to be sanctified. But you and I have a role to play in helping people get from suffering to sanctification by getting saved. And that's part of, that's part of being part of the mission as well. 
Sin has a death grip on our world and our families and all too often even ourselves. Sin just holds on to us and, we, and they won't let us go. But let me be clear about the eternal importance of the battle that while we must not fear it, it must grip you. It should grip your heart. This, this battle, needs to, the, the, what's at stake is the lost souls of the world. And there's a lot of them. I, didn't give, I don't have statistics for you today. I gave them last week, the last couple of weeks that we, that we were together as a, as a class, as a church. On Wednesday night, I gave statistics. Uh, there's approximately going to be, probably by the end of this year, 8.8 million or billion, 8.8 billion people in the world. Of that, about 2.6 billion of, of the world are Christians or call themselves Christians. Two point, so that's like 6.6 billion people that are not saved, that their, their soul is at, at risk. If we don't do something about that, if we don't have a, pa- a passion to, to want to change that number in some way, then we are missing what God wants us to do. Every one of us should be a part of. Not, I'm not talking about going overseas. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm serving as in, in God's mission right here. How do we plug into that mission? And how do we have a passion for where we are plugged in? Every Christian must be compelled to seek out a way to add their name to the roster of those who fight to rescue and to restore those souls. Everybody needs their name on the roster. But the roster's up in heaven. We don't have it here. I mean, we could keep a list. We have Shelby next. We could keep a list, but we don't. That's okay. We just want people to serve someplace. So what is at stake? As I said, it's the, in, this, in this war, it's humanity's soul is at stake. So to accomplish God's mission, every believer must be obedient to the command found in the parable in Luke chapter 19, verses 12 to 27. So that's kind of where we're going to camp out the rest of this, this morning. I don't know when I need to end because I started late. So we're just going to run with it. Anyway, turn over to Luke chapter 19. So the word occupy itself means to be busy. Um, The word occupy means to busy yourself. It means to be doing something. It means to be doing something to be occupied with or about the trade or business that you're involved in. It also means to improve, to increase, or to make a profit. The most familiar form of this word is occupation, of course. I think everybody's familiar with the word occupation, which typically means your job, your career, your passion that calls you out of the house and onto a frozen road every winter to be rewarded for the talent that you invested for your employer, right? You, you want to be, that's what, kind of how we look at things. So what we are to be busy about or what we should be occupied with is kingdom business. Kingdom business. And so we have these two verses, in, in, uh, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Deuteronomy 1.8, Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land, which the Lord swear unto your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So the work is the ministry. The work is the mission. Okay, so let me read uh, Luke chapter 19, starting in uh, verse 12. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but I'll, I'll read, I'll read a, the first few verses to kind of get the flow of things for the sake of time. Luke 19, starting in verse 12. He said, Therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants... And delivered them ten pounds, and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But the citizens hated him, and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much each man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound have gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
um, because thou hast made a that has been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And he goes on and continues on. And the second the second uh, servant comes in and he says, he says, I, I've got five for my one. The third one comes in and says, I didn't do anything with my one. And that made God mad. That made that made, that made the, the king angry. Okay, so here's the point. Without a doubt, the mission of Jesus Christ and the mission of God is the salvation of what was lost. And so these two servants are given 10 pounds, or a pound apiece. I'm a little bit lost. So I knew this was going to happen. Okay, well, I'm going to wing it off the notes as best I can. Do you guys have that on your notes, right? Okay, we're in a good place. So, ten servants. It's God's glorious gospel. That's the that's the that's what the pound represents. Committed to our trust to preach and to invent invest in the lives of others. First Timothy or First Thessalonians one eleven. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which you have uh, committed unto into my trust. And that's a great statement right there. Paul is saying you've committed the gospel into my trust. You've given me a pound, and I'm going to do with everything I can with that pound. And, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, which hath enabled me for that he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the, into the ministry. And uh, that's, an, that's an incredibly powerful thing that God is trusting us to do what he wants us to do. So uh, let's see where we're at here. So we're responsible to steward the manifold grace of God, not for ourselves, but for the lost as as well as can be re, as as well as the redeemed first peter 4:10 uh and not every man let's see and every man that hath received the gift i can't read that all sorry i'm out of okay here we go receive the gift even so minister the same unto another as good stewards of the manifold grace of god so in this position as stewards and servants we have a very real and personal responsibility uh, yeah, we got we've got liberty. We don't have to serve God, but that's what He wants us to do. And if we're going to please Him, that's what we need to do. So we have ample opportunity to serve and tell others, and not to serve and not to tell others. We can do either one. Yet you also face accountability, the judgment seat of Christ. So we we can't ignore that. You you can do whatever you want, but but God's going to sit you down and have a conversation with you. Say, why didn't you engage? Why didn't you own the mission? Why didn't you do what I asked you to do? So let me consider those. I just want to do this. Those three, those three uh, servants that came back and, and offered back some sort of accountability to the, to the one pound that he gave. Let me just show you something here. The first one, the first characteristic of the first servant is the Christian who owns the mission. I would say Christian number, servant number one is, is, a, is an owning mission Christian. This is their characteristics. The servant recognizes his responsibility or her responsibility to own the king's mission. You see, when he said to occupy till I come, hey, I'm going to give you this, and then I want to see what you brought back, that means own it. I mean, make it yours. The first Christian recognizes their responsibility. They're the ones that praise for the world. They're the ones that go unto the world on mission trips and so on. They're the ones that will change their lifestyle to better be ready to engage in mission through ministry. And that's a tough statement right there because that means you have to change your life. And that's hard to do sometimes, but it's necessary. This servant owns and engages the mission to the ministry to advance mission 100%. That's I want everybody to be the first servant. But not everybody is the first servant because some people look like this one, the second servant. The characteristics of the second servant is the second is the mission focused Christian? So they have a focus on on mission, but here's what they don't do or what what they're at. They acknowledge the universal love and desire of God the Father for the and the Lord Jesus Christ. So oh yeah, I know God loves everybody. Uh, they recognize the diversity of composition found in the world. I know there's a lot of differences out there. There's all kinds of different people. They recognize the prime importance of God, of the Christian mission, and they learn about world mission, but their focus is not an ownership focus. They, they, they acknowledge it. And I think this is where a lot of Christians actually kind of hang out. They hang out in this. They, they, they know that we could say that they speak the lingo. 
They know, what it's, they know what to say about missions. They know what to say about God trying to reach the world. They know that, oh, God loves everybody and you know, all that stuff. But they don't own the mission themselves. And then the characteristic of the third one, what did the third one do? The third one didn't do anything. He hid, he hid it. He brought it back and says, I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. So the characteristic of the third mission, of the third servant, is that he was a nominal Christian. And this is probably where a lot of people are at. They go to church. They pray. They're good people, according to them. They read their Bible. Some of them are hypocritical. But it's evident that they do not see owning the mission as a staple of the believer, and they do not own anything else close to the mission. They just don't want to be involved in it. Instead of serving, this servant failed. He failed the Lord, and then blamed, he actually blamed the Lord for his lack of service. That's, an, that's a dangerous thing, but he, he, he blamed the, the, the Lord. He, in verse 21, look down in verse 21. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou, did take it, they, thou, thou takest up, thou, thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not so. He's afraid of this guy. He's blaming him. I didn't, you, you're, you're an austere man, and I, so I didn't do anything. So he, because the Lord is an austere man, to be austere is not a bad thing, actually. It just means that he was stern. But what the servant implies is that the king was harsh and unjust. He's actually saying, you're unjust. You're making me do things that I don't want to do. You're unjust. And as I said earlier, there's an accounting of what we did or what we don't do to occupy the time until, until, the, when, until the Lord comes. In 1 Corinthians 3.9, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. So there will be a judgment, of course, in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 14 and 15, judgment seat of Christ. And there will not be an excuse making any time. When we get there, we're not going to say, well, God, it's all your fault that I didn't do anything. Don't try that with God. That's a, that's a dangerous statement to make. Don't try that with God. So the third servant had decided that rather than even attempt and then fail. See, it's okay to attempt and then fail. I think if the, if the guy had attempted to do something, he said, I, I did everything I could to try to invest this, this pound that you've given me. I tried everything I could to invest in it, and I just couldn't get any return on it. I think the Lord would have said, okay. But to tell the Lord, I don't want to do anything. It's a dangerous place to be with you and God. There's no excuse making or any attempt to self-justify our lack of service. We cannot, I mean, even right now today, if you were to say, I'm not in ministry because you're trying to make an excuse to God. Why aren't you serving? Well, because. That's dangerous. And this is, well, because I love God and I want to serve. That's, a, that's, that's not an actually excuse. That's, that's a good statement. So this servant, or should we even call him a servant? This servant demonstrates both his lack of faith in Christ and his lack of fear of the Lord, like Israel at Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 19, it says, And they said to Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak to us. Isn't that, I mean, how many of you want to let somebody speak, let God speak to you through somebody else? I'd rather have hear directly from God. The point of this third servant, missed the, what he missed, is not the amount gained. It's not that he missed how much did he, he, it's not that he missed a return. That's not what the problem was. Jesus wasn't interested in simply profiting from this man. He never commanded that they increase their net worth or his net worth. He wanted to identify who would reign with him in eternity. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Okay, um, let me back up here a little bit. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 says, if, a child, if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be we suffer with him, then we may also be glorified together with him. So he's not looking for a return on his investment. He's looking for how much the kingdom was invested in his servants. He's looking for how much the kingdom was invested in his service. How, how much is the kingdom is in you? How much do you, do you own of the kingdom? When we own the mission, we, by virtue of that, 
have an ownership in what's going on in the kingdom. Not that we rule the kingdom, but we will have a role to play in ruling the kingdom at some point. So he's not looking for a return on his investment. He's looking for how much the kingdom was invested in new. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 23, or Mark 10, 23. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? His kingdom will not fall or rise on our efforts. God's kingdom will not fall or rise on what we do or what we don't do because it's an everlasting kingdom. In Luke twelve twenty five, which of you by taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? Psalm 145, verse 13, the, king is an everlasting ki- the kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. So while, we can, while we, can be, we can be added to the kingdom, there's nothing that we can add to the kingdom. Now, he gave 10 talents or 10 pounds to 10 servants. You know what? He doesn't even bring up the other seven. He doesn't even mention what the deal is with the other seven. What did they do? What did they not do? He didn't have a, I mean, that's just not there. We don't know what happened to them, but we can assume that they failed. I think that's a reasonable assumption is that they failed because we had somebody that owned, somebody that was focused, somebody that didn't care, and then the rest of them that just didn't show up. You know, when he came back to his and called his servants to get an accounting, they said, I'm not going. I'm not going. What the king is looking for is who's going to occupy till he comes. Who's going to occupy till he comes? So let me just say this. How do we occupy till he comes? Let me get down to that, the practical part of this. First thing you do is you search out you search out a uh, place to own, and then you occupy it, you own it passionately. To own the mission then speaks of a believer who will possess, keep, hold, maintain, and retain God's mission. To own the mission starts with identity. It is what you will be engaged in, and uh, it is what you will be engaged in advancing the mission of God. I can't even read my own typing. Identity, then, is this. Whether, whether, what we, whether what you are doing can be seen as a direct link to the mission of God, which is to restore his image and lost man by means of salvation. So whatever you're doing, is, it, is, it a connect, is there a connection between what you're doing and, and God's mission? Let me give you some examples. That's probably the best way to do this part right now is some examples. First would be an elementary teacher who influences a child to desire to serve and to please God, and that child grows up and goes to the mission field. I don't know how many times I've heard missionaries say, God called me when I was six years old or eight years old or whatever. And I'm like, how did God do that? And I'm not doubting what they said, but somebody invested in that child. That's the person that I want you to be. That's part of what I want you to be. Plugging into a mission like that so that you have an influence like that so that somebody else does something even greater. They own the mission as well. I mean, another example, an evangelist who leads someone to be, become saved and that person surrenders to be a church planter. So, so we go out for, I go, you know, we go, go out sharing the gospel and somebody gets saved, they come back. Uh, now they're part of the church. They get trained, and they say, "God called me to be a be a church planter. I want to I'm going to be sent out to be a church planter." Somebody invested in that, in that person long enough that that person got the fire in his heart and had to go. He had to go. Another example would be a discipler, person who is discipling. They ignite a disciple's heart with passion to disciple others, and they go on to train future leaders in missions and ministry. They own and occupy by being the best discipler possible. And they can motivate other, motivate other disciples to do the same thing. You know, we have some people here that are really good disciplers. And we have some people here that are not really good disciplers. I don't know who they are. I just know that that's the case. Because there's always a lateral movement from, you know, good to bad, bad to good. There's always that. But you know what? If you're a discipler and you really like discipling, be the best discipler you can be because you are impacting somebody. You are making a difference. One last example would be a pastor who leads the flock with grace, mercy, care, and concern as he seeks to lead that flock 
to serve locally or to go where God is calling them. That's what a pastor does. That's an example of a pastor. So to own the mission then speaks of a believer who possesses, who keeps, who holds, who obtains, who retains God's mission, which we've already talked about. So the second thing to do is to follow him. To follow him. As soon as Jesus concludes the parable, he turns and continues on to Jerusalem. He got done and he showed the example and he turned and he went on, on about his business, the mission. Implied with that statement is the expectation that Jesus has for us to follow him fully. Jesus owned his mission, and we must follow his example to own his mission as well. At the end of the book of John, Jesus tells Peter, you remember the story of Peter? When he tells Peter, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, I love you. But the love that Peter is talking about is his answer, and I'm not going to take the time to turn there because I'm over time. But the answer that Peter gave was, yeah, I love you, you know, kind of warm-hearted love. I don't have a, a passionate love for you. I don't, and so Jesus is asking, do you have a passionate love for me? And Peter's like, well, no, not really. I just kind of love you. You know, hey, I love you guys. You know, but then finally Jesus said, well, do you kind of love me? And Peter, Peter, Peter tries to answer right this time, but he didn't work out too well. The point is, when he does, then he looks like he looks back and he asks about another servant. So instead of, instead of following Jesus, he said, well, what about that guy? Don't be the what about that guy guy. Don't be him because too many times we are. What about them? I mean, I, I, I hate to say it, but sometimes I fall in it. What about them? What about them? Don't do that. What about me? That's what you should be saying. Jesus, in, John, in, in John 21, 22, Jesus answered him. He says, if I will that he, will, that he tarry till I come, what is that to you? What is that to thee? Follow thou me. So, you know, he's saying, hey, he says he could tarry till I come, but, but he's telling Peter, occupy till I come. Because he's, he's painting a picture. What do you want to do? Do you want to tarry or do you want to occupy? What I want the whole church to do at the end of all of this, because tomorrow I'm going to talk about um, how, to, how to deal with the excuses for not occupying. But what I want the church, what I want everybody to, to get with all of this is look at where you're serving, if you're serving. And if you're serving, is what you're doing catapulting God's mission to the lost? Because everything that we do is mission, missionary, ministry, whatever M word you want to use, they all mean the same thing ultimately. If, if, if we don't have the passion to connect with what God is doing and catapult his mission to the lost, then what are we doing? We're, 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 uh, we're, we're playing church. We're playing church. And it's time that we stop playing church. It's time that we... Now, and, and I want to say this as I wrap up because I really have been concerned that, that I would come across with the wrong attitude. I'm not looking for people to, who, how do I want to say this? If you're doing this, great. But I do sense sometimes that not everybody's doing it. And I want to encourage everybody to at least have this attitude, to, to, to take the concept of missions beyond over there. What, they do, what you do, any place in this building is mission. Own it. Have a passionate heart. Let your heart burn. If you can't do it, you should cry if you're not able to do it that day. You should, it should be such a strong desire for you to want to be doing something for God that you can't not do something for God. You have to want to do this. And I think maybe many people feel that way, and praise the Lord if they do. But if you don't, then spend the rest of this week figuring out how you can own the mission. Not, how do we say our mission is? What's, what is our mission statement? So, you, yeah, see, I couldn't say all of that right that fast. So, so that's the church's mission, but that mission fits. Fits God's mission. 
to equip the, the saints of God with the, in the word of God with the, for the power of God, for the glory of God, something like that. <laughs> All I know is, is God wants to re- restore his image in lost man by means of salvation. Ministry is what we do to bring people through, through a discipleship process, bring them to a, a connection with God. And that's what we want to do. That's what this is about. That's what the whole thing is about. Owning the mission. Um, I don't have a cute acronym for own. Um, but uh, anyway. Hmm? Oh, I thought somebody said so. Okay, so anyway. Let's pray. We'll be done. Take a break. And uh, move on. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this.